Welcome to the Leadership Practice Series, brought to you by Cambridge Leadership Associates. In this series, we'll embark on a journey through the essential practices of adaptive leadership, providing you with actionable insights and strategies to develop your leadership skill. We welcome you to join us as we explore the art of leadership, one practice at a time. Nothing has such power to broaden the mind as the ability to investigate systematically and truly all that comes under thy observation in life. So wrote Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher. His observation on the power of observation is compelling. This sentiment seems to be a particularly poignant lead-in for our conversation on strengthening our practice of observation as a fundamental component of effective leadership. Because in broadening the mind, we kickstart the process of bringing a different level of thinking to complex problems. In this episode, we'll talk about the role of observation in our practice of leadership, why it is so relevant, and how to do it better, especially in the context of the adaptive challenge you've identified. What is the practice of observation? Poets, painters, and musicians are all prized for their genius in conveying complex truth or appreciating what others have failed to see. In artistic pursuits, those that observe the world in new ways and beautifully translate their observations often receive special status. Quote, the earth has music for those that listen, end quote, according to poet Reginald Vincent Holmes. Observation is also revered in the sciences via the scientific method. Thomas Edison's well-known example comes to mind. He is purported to have attempted, and failed, more than 2,700 times in the creation of the first carbonized bamboo filament, which allowed the light bulb to burn for more than 1,200 hours and consequently enter mass production. The scientific method and its embedded practice of observation, deployed by Edison and countless others, has given way to the fastest rate of technological expansion in human history. But in the domain of business, observation as a practice is not only frequently taken for granted, if discussed at all, it is often a transactional means to the more critical end of bottom line results, revenue expansion, product launch, or quarterly goals. The leaders with whom I work sometimes assume they're quite expert at the practice of observation, and yet the amount of relevant data that escapes their often single-minded focus on execution often surprises them. When I push some executives to see more, I'm occasionally met with the stated or implied response, I don't have time for that. Yes, opening the aperture to let in additional observational data may appear to slow results or delay the intended outcomes. And yet, when frustrated or stymied by your adaptive challenge, this is usually the first best place to go. Why getting better at observation matters. In the context of adaptive problems, a robust practice of observation opens the aperture of data collection and enlarges the scope of possibility. Imagine wishing to see a meteorite one clear starry night and scanning the night sky through a pinhole in a piece of paper pressed to your face. But as anyone who stargazes knows, gently scanning the sky with a soft focus allows you to perceive the faintest, fastest streaks of light, even with your peripheral vision. When we let in more light to the mind's camera, we literally see more. This is, by definition, building capacity. While we may not act on the observational data we collect, there's more data to leverage. By truly focusing on observation, we stay curious and avoid the pitfalls of jumping to conclusions or buying into our own or others' biases. 
The open aperture of observation aids us in creating clarity and helps us deliver success. But when I say observe, what exactly are we looking for? Approaches to practice part one, pressing pause and zooming out. Let's break this down into two functional leadership skill sets, both of which need to be tested and practiced to be useful. We'll start with this first practice, the ability to shift our perception of units of analysis. For those of you in or near nature, if I were to ask you to look at a tree and describe it to me, I'm curious as to what you might say. Some of you would provide me with fairly common observations. The tree is 30 feet tall, it has green leaves, bark and branches, and so on. But if, when I asked you this question, you were sitting in its branches, your response might be quite different. You'd feel the scratchiness of the bark under your skin. Your perspective so close to the tree might allow you to zoom in to look at the bark, the foliage, the seed pods. You might see and describe veins in the tree leaf, or move closer to knots from old branches. If you had a microscope, you might even describe the tree as a host to hundreds of microorganisms living on the surface of the bark. And for those of you 100 meters away from the tree, you would be more inclined to describe it differently still. In addition to seeing the bend of all the tree's branches from a distance, you might also describe the tree as part of a forest and what this tree represents about the ecosystem of other trees and flowers of which it is part. Those of you from this perspective are naturally positioned to zoom out and see the big picture. The request to describe the tree is the prompt to pause and let in data. The ability to zoom in and out, just as we did with the tree, is the capacity to observe multiple units of analysis. It aids us in the creation of clarity by helping us discern what is important. It allows you to deploy your observational prowess with varying levels of focus, and for master practitioners of this, they do so seemingly simultaneously, often fluidly between perspectives, and sometimes with different levels of focus on different topics. In the context of organizational life, where leadership is the practice of facilitating the output of others, what customary units of analysis are usually the most helpful to observe? The first is ourselves. Consider yourself as a leadership instrument in the context of the adaptive challenge you identified in the last segment. Here's a small sampling of questions you might ask as you observe and gather data. One, what is my role in the challenge? Two, what have I already attempted within the system to make progress? Three, how is the way I'm showing up impacting others' perspectives on the challenge? Four, what questions have I failed to ask? These are profoundly important questions with ourselves as the focused unit of analysis. The second unit of analysis we should consider in organizational life, and zooming out slightly, is the team. Some important questions again to prompt data collection. One, where is my team in the ecosystem of the larger team or organization? Two, what perspectives on the challenge does my team or other teams have? Three, what do other teams perceive my team's perspective on the challenge to be? Four, what losses are my team unwilling to accept as part of making progress on the challenge? And zooming out still farther, as we did with the tree, the third unit of analysis worth considering is the organization. One, where is this challenge relative to my organization's broader vision and goal set? Two, how does our role as an organization impact our perception of the adaptive challenge? And three, what perspectives are we predisposed to accept or miss?
While these questions only scratch the surface to prompt more nuanced observation, answering them helps us become fluent at collecting data across these units of analysis, individual, team, and organization. Digging deeper also builds our capacity to understand actions, data, timing, processes, outcomes, emotions, responses, flow, and dynamics within and beyond social systems, and helps you build a nuanced, highly productive observational skill set consistent with great leadership. I'm often asked, is more data always better? The short answer is no. Sometimes too much superfluous data truly does slow down decision-making processes. However, when we commit to the practice of zooming in and out, we develop filters and sift the data in ways that are increasingly pattern-rich. This pattern recognition, sometimes called experience, helps us create shortcuts to decision-making and increases our chances of deploying insight that will create progress against difficult challenges. Approaches to Practice, Part 2 If you've ever been out dancing with a partner, and you happen to enjoy dancing, being present and alive to the music can be an exhilarating experience. It's easy to stay present on the dance floor. This is particularly true if we don't know how to dance, and maybe it's not enjoyable, but terrifying because we're hyper-aware of our limited abilities. In these moments, we're acutely focused on ourselves or our very limited sightline to surroundings. But leave the dance floor for 10 minutes and climb the stairs to the balcony. All of a sudden, we can see many more things than before. We can see the band on the bandstand, the swirls of dancers everywhere, and the ticket takers by the entrance to the dance hall. This metaphor of getting to the balcony translates to a practice that is particularly important for leadership. Because while the work is always accomplished on the dance floor, where we spend at least 90% of our time, if we never get to the balcony, we lose the opportunity to see things we haven't seen before. What the balcony represents in this metaphor is the ability to gain broader perspectives and more objective data. It's the place where the sweat from dancing doesn't get in our eyes. The balcony is an essential place for every individual practicing leadership. When we're caught up in the dance, how do we push pause to get there? Sometimes stepping to the balcony in the initial stages of practice requires, one, a physical change of environment. Maybe you leave the office and walk around the block, for example. Two, a change in place of activity, effectively pushing the pause button, which could look like waiting to respond to an email for a few hours, for example. Or three, a conscious uncoupling of preconceptions, judgments, and stories we may have adopted. Ask yourself, is this assumption really true? Many of us are so addicted to the adrenaline rush of constant activity and problem solving that existing in this separate balcony space feels empty. As Emily Dickinson wrote, quote, silence is all we dread, end quote. Instead, practitioners of leadership cultivate these moments because they are rich opportunities to see new things. A point worth noting as you practice observation from the balcony. A common pitfall for individuals who do make their way to the balcony is to jump back into fix-it mode when a problem is observed. Humans are natural fixers. Most people are unable to see a problem and not immediately start looking for solutions. Despite the good intentions of fixing a problem, jumping to solutions often narrows our perception of the problem. It creates a potential blind spot around the nature of the problem, who could be affected, biases, and more. So when practicing observation, be intentional about not diagnosing, interpreting, or intervening just yet. An invitation to experiment. 
Unfortunately, when encumbered with our small piece of the puzzle, enmeshed in the daily grind, or pressed to deliver outcomes, not only does our aperture narrow, but we lose sight of valuable information, forget to zoom out, or frankly, in our overwhelm, become disheartened and lose our curiosity. I would like you to become more intentional over the next couple of weeks in deepening your practice of observation, particularly in the context of the adaptive challenge you identified in the last episode. Practice one, take more balcony moments. When tension or pressure mounts, take this as a sign that a balcony moment could be useful. A balcony moment need not take an excessive amount of time. Professional athletes can observe biomechanical feedback in split seconds in their balcony moments, for example. But if needed, change your environment or pace. Over the next two-week period, tally the number of balcony moments you take. Become conscious of cultivating a space where you can simply observe. Practice two. Play with the idea of zooming in and out at different units of analysis. Begin to ask questions of yourself, about your team, and about your organization related to the adaptive challenge. Where are things going well? Where are tensions mounting? Who are the marginalized voices? I encourage you to listen to the song beneath the words. For without the pause and contrast between notes, music is simply noise. I'd ask that you record your observations for lifetime discussion and will reconvene to celebrate your ability to play and experiment with these ideas as you add to your leadership toolkit. Episode Conclusion In this episode, I discussed the importance of observation as a practice of leadership. I introduced language around the skills that effective leaders deploy frequently. They zoom in and out fluidly between units of analysis, and they regularly observe from the balcony without a predisposition to fix or act. Lastly, I invited you to deepen your own leadership practice by taking more balcony moments and recording the observations you're making about the adaptive challenge you identified in episode one. From all of us at CLA, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leadership Practice Series. We hope you've gained some valuable insights and strategies to further develop your leadership skills. To learn more, you can find us on the web at cambridge-leadership.com.